Welcome everyone to this virtual Ignatian conversation where we're coming together to celebrate uh, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. It is in many ways hard to imagine that we're at the 50th anniversary of this significant event. And also what an important and timely uh, moment to, to think about our responsibility to the earth when we are confronted with a very different reality than we've ever been in before. So as a result of our, our current situation, we're coming to you virtually, uh, but I'm excited to be joined here uh, today with our, our two speakers, um, Tom Sandejas, a theology uh, teacher uh, from Loyola High School and uh, John Paul Ramirez, a campus minister at Loyola Marymount University. I'll begin by just turning it over to, to Tom. And Tom, if you wouldn't mind saying a little bit about yourself and, and your history experience uh, with Earth Day. Sure. Um, I teach, uh, I've taught theology for about 40 years um, on the high school level. I've taught uh, particularly social justice, um, at least since the 80s. And we used to say back then that um, you might even have find a Catholic high school that didn't have a strong scripture class, although it's hard to imagine that, but you would, might not find like a scripture class, but you would find a social justice class uh, back in the 80s when it first became um, a focus of the church to make sure that Catholic social teaching was being, um, that our rich tradition was being shared with students. So, um, so you know, that's a little bit about what I've been doing and concentrating on for the last 40 years. Um, and if you have taught in any length of period of time, you're constantly adapting um, the concepts that you're teaching to the realities of your day. You know, like, so even now with my classes, uh, I don't want to overwhelm my students with pandemic news if they're feeling overwhelmed. So I want to take the temperature of the room. But at the same time, um, it is in the spirit of Christ's teaching to um, use them, whatever is at hand right now, to teach. So if there's examples of how um, COVID-19 has impacted the most marginalized amongst us, and we can show intersectionality with how the environmental impact that has always existed with them and how um, the uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 interacts with, let's say, respiratory problems or something, um, you know, that's something that we can do in class now to kind of keep that spirit of reading the signs of the times. Um, as far as my involvement with environmentalism and Earth Day goes, um, I, I would say that I was kind of, a, I was around for the first Earth Day. Uh, and I would say back then it was something more that you depended on the grooviness of your teacher uh, at the time, the nuns that I had, uh, who were, I think, forward thinking and causing us to think about the Vatican in the spirit of like Vatican II changing um, what we could talk about in our classrooms and in theology back then. So um, I happened to have like a teacher like Sister Doris, who was very concerned with the environment and introduced us to Earth Day in our classroom as a way of celebrating. Um, and I think she introduced me to the idea that you should always incorporate fun with it in some way. Otherwise, it becomes a harangue or a chore, perhaps, for some people or something that causes guilt. Um, and then after that, it was really like 
I was kind of passive because it was dependent upon which teacher or school or institution what they did about it. My high school didn't do particularly much about it, as I recall. Um, so then when I got into teaching, since I got into teaching pretty soon after college and my college at LMU actually raised my awareness of environmental issues, um, I will just say that at that point, I started seeing I had to go from waiting for somebody to not just Earth Day, but environmental issues in general to bring them to me. But I had to be the one that would generate interest, excitement and urgency regarding them um, through the years. So that's kind of and then, of course, what I remember, too, is uh, going back to those days, the fun concerts that used to be organized around Earth Day. Um, but it had an association with um, being hippie-ish uh, for a long time and um, a little fringe. And so I think now with the movement of climate change to being more urgent um, and people signing on to that, as we see a lot more people are signing on to that in the last year or so, um, I hope that it's, it's now seen as something, um, you know, centering for us, focusing and centering for us, and that it gives us a mission um, that we welcome. So, sort of my history with it. Well, thanks, Tom. No, that's a great, uh, it's a great overview of some of the, the, the layers of how it's been experienced and, and such an important uh, point to keep in mind that although the issue has remained the same, the way it's been treated or viewed in society has, has certainly changed uh, significantly. Turn it over to, to, uh, to JP here, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself, saying a little bit about how you come to this conversation today, and then just what your own history with uh, Earth Day or environmentalism is. Um, but I grew up in East Hollywood, which is a little urban, um, and yet it's positioned very nicely to Griffith Park, which is one of the larger open spaces after Central Park, might be the second most open, open public space. And I grew up uh, walking and visiting Griffith Park, all the different trails, and um, I have very fond memories. Um, and so I grew up as much a city boy and being close to nature and tying that in with um, having been a Boy Scout, uh, an Eagle Scout. Uh, and I think because of lack of opportunity, um, not necessarily having um, a very active father figure um, allowed me to really attach myself um, to the scouts um, and really make the most of the outings. Um, and so that is, I think my, my exposure to nature was really hands-on with a group of strangers that became friends um, and an appreciation and admiration for um, something that I can, as a Christian, ascribe to God's beauty, God's masterpiece, creation. Um, and my experience in high school at a Franciscan high school, I did not have the privilege of uh, going to a Jesuit high school, but I was treated very well by the Franciscans. And I think by default, uh, Francis of Assisi is seen as the uh, original hippie, uh, as the original environmentalist. Uh, he had such a fondness for nature. Uh, even on his deathbed, he is known to have had a very closeness to um, Mother Nature and 
you know, ascribes them as friends and family, brother and sister. Um, and so I think all of that has rubbed off on me um, right now. Um, we are, I think, it's funny that we're recording this indoors in celebration of, of Earth Day, but we more than ever, I think, have been unified as a, as a human race and that we are all, um, this, this virus is non-discriminatory. We are all susceptible to catching it uh, regardless of race or creed or socioeconomic status. We, I think more than anything, I've been forced in, in sort of this state of solidarity um, whether we like it or not, but it's been a time for reflection. And one of my professors at LMU, uh, Father Jim Clark, uh, Ignatian Spirituality, said that prayer was simply slowing down and allowing ourselves and our soul to catch up. And I think that's really what the earth has been doing the last month and a half. And we've been forced to slow down. And thankfully, we've been able to see some kind, some of the effects that Mother Nature has, has forced upon us um, and much needed and, and long overdue. But if you do go outside wearing a mask in your neighborhood, you are able to see um, blue skies, um, clear skies. And that's something as someone who has grown up in LA, um, it's something that I've, I've longed for. And, and yet um, I struggle with that. I struggle with navigating the privilege of being able to do that and also remembering all the people that don't have access to clean air uh, before and after this. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great point to talk about how uh, many ways this, our current situation as a result of this virus has changed our, our sense of our relationship uh, to, our, to our daily uh, rhythms for sure in terms of how we work and how we teach in terms of the communities that, that we're in, and then also to, to the whole human race and to the earth itself. Um, but it's only something that we're able to, to process if we are able to slow down mm -hmm. and if we are able to reflect and, and to think about that. Um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say a little bit more, just I think maybe we'll take a moment just to think about that, the ways that we're able to deepen in that experience. Both of you highlighted, I think, elements of how this is, this is a long part of the Christian tradition, for sure, this, this respect for the earth and comes through in many different experiences, the religious, different religious orders. Uh, we'll tie in a little bit more explicitly with the Jesuits in a minute, but first, just a, other things that you feel like um, are important to mention as you think about how we are invited to slow down, invited to be in relationship with the earth at this time? Um, I, it's, I found it kind of remarkable today that as I was thinking about this topic, um, I, what came my way was uh, both, uh, and you know, just sort of tangentially having the TV on in the breaks between classes or the radio, um, you know, two focuses that, are talking already about how we will um, grow from this experience. One was a radio show where the person was talking about design. The other one was um, a speaker who pointed out an article in Scientific American. And I went to the article first and um, I've been thinking about how this whole event is traumatic and many of the ways that you hear people describing 
and we do need to hear other people describing similar symptoms so that we don't feel so isolated like it's just am i crazy for going through that or am i you know so that probably wasn't the most sensitive way to word that but you know that feeling of, of panic or isolation that we've had and um when we use the framework of trauma we see that oh when people go through trauma they forget about things that they were just about to do or they get lethargic or they um you know all of a sudden their sleep is greatly disturbed and uh, and i think many of us can relate to those things you know we could have a sense of looking back of regret of how did we get into this you know what could i have done differently um, was it my fault? You know, that's all stuff that happens with trauma. And it's true that we can be like in a PTSD mode. But I think um, a sign of hope is that this article stated and reminded us that we also can go through post-traumatic growth. That trauma can also lead us to, not that we ever want the trauma in the first place, of course, but given that it is a reality it can lead us towards uh what you know you're indicating a deepened reflection a sense of growth and a sense of what's possible a glimpse of things we might not have thought of or thought or, or even before like just even before we started seeing some of the images of how the earth can start to heal itself during this time when it's not getting so much of an on daily onslaught of our um, pollution it's remarkable because I was like surprised. Oh, the earth can actually heal a little faster than I thought. And nature, um, you know, it's not huge, but 3% is way bigger than, you know, any of us dared to hope when we were only focusing on, uh, as we were recently on just like climate um, change and the, the problems and how rapidly those are occurring. So I say that because you know, when I was listening to the next thing, which is a speaker talking about design, she was trying to say, will we use this time period to imagine a different way of being? So um, in LA during the Olympics, and I remember this when we had the Olympics in 84, they actually made it so they were so freaked out about traffic, they made it so that you could only go to work on, you could only drive on days when you had this odd number of license plate, for example and you could get around LA. Everybody said you could get around LA in 20 minutes if you chose to you know, still participate by driving. And now I hear people saying that the people that have to go to work, they go, well, the only you know, one plus is that I, it's hard to go to work, but I get there much faster now, right? So if we remember that kind of thing and we see it happening now, what does that lead us to contemplate for the future? You know, is it gonna be more hey, I actually can work at home more often. I don't need to get on the cars. Or even if it's a, something as, oh, I see how beautiful the earth is when I'm missing it so much. And I see that it can be healed. I have a glimmer of hope. Is that gonna motivate me to um, want to do more about this as we emerge and keep some of the things we're learning from this, the lessons that we're learning. I think the only way this post-traumatic growth can happen is if we're recording and re uh, reflecting and recording as we go, and then remember that towards, you know, in the future. As a guideline, I guess, towards what we'll do in the future. Well, for sure. A, a great point about that. Um, 
the, the need to really soak up and take in something about this time to make it meaningful, to make sure that we're able to, to take the most from this. Um, JP, I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that of how best to, or what to take from this time. I think often that we can um, find the answers to life's biggest questions in nature. And I often say that in particular when I'm with um, a group accompanying them at Border State Park in San Diego along the US-Mexico border, the most southwestern part of the United States. And it's uh, the culmination of a weekend. And I say this quote, which is something that I learned in college from a professor that was um, almost anti-religious and all about science. Um, and yet there is there is a respect. Um, but the, the, the thing I always go back to is just look at nature and, and see what it says and, and let it talk to you. And when I'm at Border State Park with the students, we see um, this man-made structure, this apparatus going into the ocean and the waves crashing and birds flying freely over it. And I come to the conclusion each month when I'm accompanying the students that I don't know what the answer is to this specific injustice, but nature has given me the answer that this isn't right. The waves shouldn't crash like that. The birds don't really adhere to any man-made regulations. And I think of that right now as an opportunity to, again, slow down. And what has the earth been saying for a long time? Because in some ways this virus was created, yes, by, I think, greed, and I don't want to get too political on it, but it was um, unnecessary things that we were doing to the earth that caused the earth to give something back, and now we're fighting. So I, I welcome this um, with some, with some caution, but as an opportunity to really listen to what the earth is saying, because it's been speaking for a long time. Well, I, I think that's, I like the terminology that you're using there in terms of listening um, to what the earth has to say. And we, you know, in this conversation, we, we kind of were using some of the wording of, you know, do we hear the cry of creation? Are we listening are we hearing what what's out there and i, I want to make a tie now to um Ignace, the ignatian tradition um and the fact that all of us work in jesuit education and we're we're products of and and employees in uh colleagues in this this work uh flowing from the wisdom of uh, ignatius Loyola, but within the you know within the tr tradition of the catholic church and in particular around discernment. I, d I just want to highlight, because I think it, it touches on what you were saying there, what we've been talking about. The way that we need to be able to listen is such an important part in the Ignatian tradition of being able to listen to kind of like what's going on inside of us and what and how we're being shaped by others. And I think over the years and over the centuries, we've deepened in our reality of the, the recognition, something that St. Francis knew uh, very, very early on that we have to be listening to, to the earth as well. I, I find that tying these two of kind of working in, in Jesuit education and, and these issues of caring for our common home, 
I think the, the topic of discernment for me is one that's very important, that it's an invitation to really be in relationship, not just with others, not just with God, but also with the earth. And we've seen in a lot of recent documents that have come out from, from the international Jesuits, that combination of thing, that relationship, that recognition of the importance of the relationship uh, with other people, with God, and then also with the earth. Um, and how we're able to, in our life, really be open so that we can listen is such an important part. I don't know if you have other thoughts about pieces of being in, in kind of a, the Jesuit educational world that relate or significant to you uh, for environmental work, for, for this experience of celebrating Earth Day. Uh, I'll turn to, to you first, Tom, if you have any thoughts on that. Um, well, I think of one of the most, um, you know, familiar phrases to us in Jesuit education is um, to find God in all things. And um, I've struggled at times because, you know, I've definitely, uh, let's see, I've, I've had students through the years who are a little disregarding um, in a way of like conventional religious instruction and, um, you know, conceiving of God. And then they'll say something like, well, I find God in nature. And, and you know, before, um, that was sometimes an easy way out of like more complicated discussions, but I've really um, need to, you know, I really welcome, well, where do you find God in nature? And not just like, oh, uh, you know, the going beyond like the appreciation of the physical beauty of creation or just the joy of being outdoors to um, where is God, you know, as JP was saying, where is God speaking to you? Um, through nature and how you know so for example a lot of guys who would give me that response at Loyola might be like surfers you know and they'll say like well I find God out you know in the waves and okay well how you know is it um, and can we use that uh, finding God in the waves in a way that will speak to our souls in at moments when we're not out in nature so is it the waves that are both unique in their formation yet universal that sort of shows god's plan of how we are all uh diverse yet the same is it um imagining sort of unconditional love and mercy coming towards you freely in the waves is it the radiance of the sun and can that be a symbol of you know accepting um, God's love, etc. Uh, so it's just, it's like using our um, Jesuit, almost our intellectual questioning tradition, along with the belief that God is in all things, and then just pushing that a little further and saying, how, you know, how is God speaking to you in nature in that way? And then, um, but I also say, you know, God is in this, if we're going to say God is in nature, God's also in our gutters. God's in our most polluted environments. God is in the skyscrapers. Um, and that might be in various ways through our manifestation of our gifts and talents to design. And if so, are we designing in ways that will improve our lives and improve the lives of others or hurt others? And if God's in the gutter, um, in the gutter water, let's say, what's the 
what is being reflected? Is it faces of people who've been discarded by society? You know, so it's really, uh, that's one way is just taking that, that phraseology of finding God in all things and just pushing it a little further to get more specific about how and where we're discovering God in nature and then in the sort of man-made canyons we've created of the city but where nature obviously still exists and we're seeing in this pandemic is all too ready to come in. Um, I'm very moved by hearing even two talk show hosts say um, something pretty, you know, both sad and beautiful, which is that in New York, many people who have opened their windows or, you know, hear sounds, they say they hear two sounds now all the time. One, unfortunately, is sirens. And then the other one they're hearing is birds because the streets are so quiet, they can hear the birds and the birds have come back into environments that felt a little more hostile to them. And I think in that tension, that tension seems to me to be very Jesuit. Well, no, I think that's a great point, Tom, about how um, we're called to really move into the complexity, to, to push beyond any kind of uh, easy or simple answers or reflections into, I think, you know, part of the thing for Ignatius, it, diving into the complexities of the world, you can notice the patterns and the trends so that you can discern, but that's only if you really get into it. In each moment, there's a world of opportunity that opens up. But you have to be willing to pay attention to it. And you have to be willing, able to make the kind of distinctions like you're talking about. How do we really, when we talk about finding God in nature, how do we really do that? I, I love that an example. JP, I don't know about for you, any, any thoughts on kind of these connections? Yeah, I, I just kind of want to champion another Franciscan Jesuit that I know. Um, in Pope Francis Laudato Si, the opening lines is from uh, Francis's canticle of the sun, canticle of the creatures. Um, and another Franciscan by the name of Richard Rohr uh, really touches upon um, the emphasis that God, well, God is in all things, but a lot of people confuse that with pantheism. And in The Universal Christ, which is one of his most recent books, he likes to use uh, the term panentheism, um, which is God is found um, in everything. Um, not God is everything. God is not the tree, but God can be in the tree or God can be in nature. Like, like um, Tom was saying, uh, I love the images of, of the beach and the waves. Um, I spent a few years as a theology teacher at St. Francis. And so uh, those questions did come up and most of the time there was room for dialogue um, and you invite those personal experiences, but I, I, I too agree that there is a theology of, of, of water and God, I think for young people easily can be seen um, in nature. Um, when we were on Kairos retreats, one of the things that we would emphasize is God can be tangibly found in the sacraments, God can be found in scripture, and then nature. And I think with each of those layers, it became a little bit more easier where we, where we saw God. And the last of those was, of course, people. Um, God can be found in people. But that's, that's all I want to touch upon. Um, I, I noticed, Tom, that you said that in the classroom, you, you take the temperature of the students. And I don't know if that was 
a subtle nod to, to uh, environmentalism. Yeah. Uh, well, probably uh, because it's, uh, you know, probably I'll feel like kind of forefront in our minds, but um, it kind of does remind me when you were speaking right now, JP, it kind of reminded me that um, in relating to like COVID-19 uh, and what's going on, um, it's, uh, I, so I live in a cottage uh, that is near the beach. Um, I'm currently having to quarantine solo and it's not a very big place, right? But what I do have outside is a bit of a garden. And then I, um, because there's some foot traffic around here that hasn't really abated and it's not as safe for me, I've got this area that I would say is kind of like the ugly area between my cottage and the garage, you know? Uh, and so I worked on weeding it. And then I thought, well, I'm, you know, uh, who knows how long this is going to go on? I thought like a lot of people, right? So um, let me plant some stuff, right? And now it's time to, now I have some time to work in my garden. And um, so I went online, you know, I was like, well, where can I get seeds from if I don't want to go out to any stores right now? And um, I found that many of the seeds are sold out, especially of vegetables, especially of um, popular things that people want. But not only that, but um, flowers too, you know, beautiful flowers that decorate our environment. So as many of us have had to stay home, it's not just like we're looking at our homes as a chore to fix up our home office or whatever, but we want our environment to be more comforting, more connected. And isn't it funny that one of the ways that we're trying to connect is with the earth. It's almost like you couldn't have ordered this up for, I don't mean anything you know, uh, flippantly at all, but like you couldn't have gotten people to do this for Earth Day hey, plant a garden, <laughs> so much so that there's a, the seeds are, so, are selling out. You know, plant a garden at your house so that you have that connection to, um, to the earth. And then um, I was reading up on it and I found that uh, somebody theorized, uh, you know, whether this is true or not, but it makes sense to me, that when you're working with soil quite a bit and you get in on the soil, that there's kind of like a natural antidepressant or calming agent that comes from just the inhaling of the soil a little bit and the inhaling of the plants, you know, that there's something very calming to our spirits about that. So that's another reason why you can see people are drawn to, let me bring nature into my house, let me decorate my area with more nature, let me let it flourish. We're all having a little Garden of Eden at home experience in ways, not everybody, um, I'm fortunate to have that little piece of land that I can do that with, but I move to think that people are trying to do this even if they can just get a pot of soil somewhere and plant something, you know, that that rebirth cycle, that um, connection to nature has become so central to us. So in a, in a, a very odd way, in ways that you wouldn't ask for, but Earth Day this year has people already naturally connecting to the um, to the earth in an instinctual way. Uh, it's funny that you talk about that, Tom, because uh, just on Sunday, um, my wife and I uh, were uh, made an order at a local nursery and went to pick up. It was they said uh, it was it's so busy, like you had to call and then they would order it. You couldn't be that you couldn't 
there was a very detailed way to go through because they were so uh, busy. And actually, a couple of things we wanted to get, they, they didn't even have. It was just the phone's just been ringing off the hook that so many people have been out and kind of doing gardening. We, we don't have garden space, but we have a little back porch. So uh, we, we've got some, some herbs and some, some potted plants out there now. And it, it's striking. Um, I hadn't heard that about kind of working with the soil itself, but just even for me, a little bit of green uh, in, in an urban spot. Uh, it just, it, it brings a different sense of life or, or peace. Um, and, and I think in this topic, it, it's kind of a natural to just, as we're already talking about moving in terms of, a, this is a different kind of Earth Day than we've, we've had before. Um, but what can we do? What can we do right now uh, to, to celebrate, um, to, to engage in this time? Um, I love, I think, that example of the garden that you're talking about, Tom. Other, other ways that we could kind of engage in this time. I think most people have uh, forcefully engaged in water conservation. I think uh, um, less showers, I think, but all jokes set aside. Um, I make it a habit with my wife and I to be conscious of everything that we purchase and as much as we can to buy fair trade. And, you know, I think before all this, it may have just been kind of a, a dream to kind of think that you have made a difference, but even now more buying locally and supporting, um, supporting your local stores. Um, we try not to buy clothes as much. And if we do, we'll, we'll thrift. And now that's the cool thing to do is, is what I'm told by our uh, college age students. Um, but it's, it's done with intention to kind of um, limit how much production because I believe in purchasing power and everything that we do buy, um, there's power in that. Um, and so if we can be even more conscious moving forward of um, how we consume, I think it will uh, be a greater benefit than it was before maybe. Um, I think that uh, just to follow up on that, I think that um, many of us may have had during this time of quarantine thoughts about rationing, you know, like, even when you think you have a little bit of, you know, like, oh, my refrigerator or my pantry is full, or um, if it's not full, which is unfortunately the experience of many people in our community, the thing that you do have is so precious. You know, do I want to use uh, two eggs to make that, you know, whereas before I might not have thought about that. And if we can transfer that way of thinking, not in a, a depriving way or um, um, you know a way that subtracts from our lives but as a conscious and mindful thing that everything I use everything that I consume um, I'm mindful about what if there's not enough of it and then to recognize that that is the reality that there isn't enough of it um, I think we have to deal with certain tensions that are coming up with this that are unique so, and they're competing interests. And as uh, in our intellectual tradition, we should never be afraid of acknowledging competing interests. So yes, I'm, you know, anti-proliferation of plastic, but um, all of a sudden we're seeing the need for plastic in solution ways for people to feel like their food that's coming into them is safely protected. Um, 
And what are we going to do about that, you know, going forward, if this is a, more, a longer reality? How can we combine those things? I don't have an answer, but I just have like an awareness that that is, you know, we can't just be all, oh, I'm against this without recognizing that it's served to become a solution in some ways that we might not have anticipated or, you know, certainly we wouldn't hope for. Um, I think in terms of isolation, there's gonna be plenty of Earth Day online activities probably tomorrow and this week, everything from online concerts to, you know, Greta's Climate Strike or the Fire Drill Fridays, and then ways that we do that in our own Ignatian communities and traditions where people are um, acting online. And yeah, it doesn't feel as perhaps directly energizing as being out at a rally with your sign, but there's a va there is a special charge from holding up your sign online and finding out you're not the only one. Um, and that 50 years of environmental focus, because certainly it's a year long thing, not just a day, but 50 years of focus and commitment to that is worth celebrating. And with my students, um, I'm not necessarily going to go into the, uh, well, I will tell them to watch a movie. Uh, so I recommend, since we're a lot of us are home watching stuff anyway, um, there are things we can watch as good resources that will help us along these lines. I think of the good people over at the Story of Stuff project and the animated videos or films that they do. I will have my students watch a movie called Flow for the Love of Water um, because that's, as JP just said, that's something we're very you know, conscious of uh, these days. And um, it will make a, bring a greater awareness. Every student says after they've seen that documentary, it raised their awareness in ways that, um, you know, that were uh, welcomed by them. Um, and then for the fun thing, I'm going to say, since you have to be home and your family is probably tired of either ordering in as good as that may be for local businesses or um, they're just burdened, right? They're stressed. Can you design a meal or cook a meal from your for your family that's going to be as simple in the spirit of St. Francis, in the spirit of Laudato Si, in the spirit of honoring the earth, but tasty and beautiful? Can you learn to cook something like that, you know, and, and have fun with it, you know, take pictures of it. And when we come back together at the end of the week, I want to see what you guys have come up with. And that introduces some fun element into it that's also purposeful for this kind of unique Earth Day. Well, like in those examples uh, and what we're talking about, that call to be active participants, right, that although we're all spending a lot of time kind of looking at the screen, uh, that there are many ways that we can still be very active in what we do, uh, whether it's in, in what we watch, in the, the food we prepare, in um, the, uh, the gardens that we might have, the conversations, the shopping that we do, all those are activities where we can be intentional. And I think there's nothing uh, that Earth Day is about if it's not encouraging us to be intentional in how we relate uh, to the Earth. We're moving towards the end of our, our time uh, together for this conversation. I just want to open it up, though, to see if there's other things you wanted to, to bring up as we, as we move towards the end of our time. Um, you know, this isn't directly um, 
this is more anecdotal, but it sort of speaks to something um, at, uh, it's just a memory that at Loyola, we used to have um, a, uh, on Earth Day, uh, the science department, I think Mr. Gore in particular, but it was probably a lot of people organizing that, Mr. Picard, a bunch of people. Um, they got a, uh, they would have this huge globe, inflatable globe, um, really, really big, like, you know, um, twice, I don't know how, 10 feet, 12 feet tall, and big and round. And it would sit on the lawn there during Earth Week as kind of a reminder. And then we'd try to would have uh, some Earth Week focuses that would go with it, often that they would organize through their department. Um, and I took my students out to go take pictures of it uh, with it. 